Welcome to the St. George's Leeds podcast. Sharing life, loving Leeds. My name's John and I head up at Lighthouse, which is a Christian community for those who are battered and bruised by the storms of life. And I'm one of the uh, vicars here on team. And we're beginning a new series today, which is on the topic of uh, one another. We're going to, I'm taking taking up the topic of love one another. There's a little video for us as we begin to think about this. As we're watching that and we're hearing that, you see the smiles of people. Something inside of it warms up. Why? It's a great tune, but also because the topic of love sparks something deep within us. We all long for it. We all crave for it. There's a truth within this song, isn't there, that human beings, people like me and you, and people like those singing on the screen, are in desperate need of love and affection from our earliest breath to our dying day. It seems that the capacity for love is hardwired into the human heart. Finish off this sentence for me. All you need is... Let's try that again. All you need is... It's true. We need it. Just as a baby requires milk to grow physically so the newborn also requires love and affection. Study after study has shown that for an infant to flourish, they require love and affection. Those who as a child did not receive this love often find their cognitive and emotional development is impaired. This love-shaped hole created in childhood can often, not always, be filled as an adult with addictive behaviour and a string of self-destructive relationships. The utopian dream, all you need is love, for many is simply an illusion. At Lighthouse, I tell people that we're all looking for love, we're craving for it, but sometimes we're looking in the wrong places. Some turn to heroin for the warm hit of heroin, which feels like a hug but a hug which stabs you in the back. 
We all long and crave for love. So what does this word love well, mean? Uh, this one word love in the English language covers a number of bases. Not gonna make, you, might, might, you might be thinking of something when I say love, and I might not mention it. Apologies. But it includes things like the love of friends, the love of lovers, love as the warm fuzzies, the contentment of a deep friendship, the deep affection for children and family members, a love for the outsider shown in action. Love can be described as a feeling, sometimes as a choice, but also as an action. It's a deep, multifaceted word which points to the depth and the height of human experience. The ancient poet whose poems comprised the biblical book of the Song of Solomon, he spoke these words about romantic love. But they also ring true for just love in general. He says this, Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. What's he saying? If you pursued money, if you pursued wealth instead of love, you would be a fool. And yet, although the longing for love is hardwired into the human heart, there are many reasons why as individuals in a society we choose not to love. And this lack of love has consequences. To turn away from love is to fuel racism, oppression, war and injustice. To turn away from love or not receive love is to leave a gaping ache within us which opens us up to forces of bitterness, loneliness, unforgiveness and hate. We all, we all at times become disconnected from the hard wiring of our human heart. We fall short of what we are called to be. Now you may hint, in this, uh, you may be picking up in a sense some negativity here. You know, I'm talking about love, but I'm talking about the lack of love. We're going to focus on that just a little bit longer, and then we're going to move more positively into our biblical text. Let me suggest one thing which gets in the way of our ability to receive, enjoy, and give love. In fact, let's just prime ourselves for this. You as an individual, do you want to receive more love, enjoy more love, and give more love? This could be something I'm mentioning now which gets in the way of that. You see, consumerism, which is rampant in our Western culture, is a powerful noise-canceling headphone which prevents us from hearing the sweet melodies of love and affection. And it's a subtle headphone. You find yourself in your early years of development. The headphones get on. You may be receiving love and affection, but the headphones come on and you start hearing a sound. A sound of wanting things rather than people. And as you go through childhood into adulthood, the sound coming through these headphones gets louder and louder and it can drown out the sweet melodies of love. Let me explain. We were born to be lovers 
and yet a powerful worldview has saturated our hearts through the liturgy of advertising, peer pressure, and modern media. We desire objects and things and put this at times above the pursuing and the receiving of either divine or human love. Through consumerism, we have been trained to overvalue things and to undervalue love, humanity, and relationships. As a Western society, we have never consumed so much, whether that be objects, things, experiences, or social media. And yet, as recent studies are showing, loneliness and disconnection have never been so high. You see, in the world of things, we can change and upgrade to whatever takes our fancy. And these thoughts can be, trained, can be transferred to how we treat relationships. Within consumerism, relationships become a commodity. So, yeah, relationships become a commodity which are there for our own entertainment. And humans become objects to be used for our own gratification. Marching to the beat of consumerism, we put profit before people and the quality of our lifestyles above justice and compassion. We have these blockers on, these headphones on, they present us from living out our full potential of receiving and giving love. But we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. Let's go into the text and see what the text has to say about love. As we, as we heard our reading from 1 John, we, had, we heard the words, although translated into English, of the old Apostle John. He was in his later years of life. And John uh, began as a fisherman. Well, I guess he never began as a baby as a fisherman, but in his adult, adult life, teenage life, he was a fisherman. He, he was a businessman with hired servants. But then he became a follower of Jesus and then a church leader in Ephesus. Later in his life, he was exiled and suffered persecution for his belief that in King Jesus, a new age has dawned. In the book of 1 John, the Apostle John uses the word love 38 times. In fact, we could call old man John the Apostle of Love. <laughs> the Apostle of Love. Um, and those of us who are younger... Note here that there may be a wisdom about love and community which comes not from the next sort of thing on social media from a peer, but comes from the older generation. Perhaps there's a wisdom there to be had about love. But the apostle of love, he, sp the apostle of love, he speaks to his readers on the topic of love and we may assume that these first readers in the church of Ephesus just like St. George's today, a diverse congregation made up of men, women, children, and they were likely ethically, racially, and economically mixed. Notice that twice in the passage, the apostle of love says this. He says, love one another. 1 John 4 verse 7, dear friends, other translations read, beloved. So even he speaks with warm affection to his congregation. 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And then later on, a few verses later, he says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Twice he says it. It must be important. The word used for love in this passage is agape, which refers not to a sexual love, eros, or the love which exists between a family unit, but rather to agape love, which has to do with faithfulness, commitment. It's an act of the will. It's to be distinguished from other types of love for its lofty moral nature and strong character. John is commanding, encouraging, and urging his readers to show affection to each other, to demonstrate commitment and faithfulness. They are to choose love even if the warm fuzzies are not present. He does not say, love those who are like you. He does not say, love those you like. He does not say, love when you feel like it. But rather, he says, love one another. And today, this is the word of the Lord for us, a command to us that we should love each other. Just take a moment and uh, just look, look around the room. Just look around. Bit awkward. Catch people's eyes if you can. That's always a good one. God's word to us today is to love one another. To love one another. If we do not love each other, then our services... Our teaching, our alpha courses, our small groups, our beautiful building, our work with those who are vulnerable are nothing but a clanging symbol to a world which desperately needs to hear the sweet melodies of love. Elsewhere in scripture it says, if I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. We're to love one another. Why? Well, for John, love, agape, is to be part of our DNA because we are born of God and God is love. This, is me- this was mentioned twice in the passage which was read to us and this serves as twin peaks from which we should frame all questions of theology and discipleship. 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 8 says this, whoever does not love does not know God because, let's say it together, God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them twice. We have this phrase that God is. And it's God is love. At the very heart of God, flowing from his divine center is the eternal love of the Trinity. The Father has always loved 
the Son and the Spirit. The Son has always loved the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit has always loved the Father and the Son. A trinity of love in which everything they do comes out of that place of love, affection, commitment, and fidelity. We're to love one another because God is love. A triune love which creates the universe. A triune love that embraces humanity. A triune love that never gives up up even in the face of sin or death. Let the love of God be our compass and guide when we study scripture or face suffering. For those who joined me for the uh, Lent talks we had here, we spent several weeks looking at some very dark topics of pain and suffering in the world. But what one thing can we draw out of that? To rest well before coming to Lent talks would be a good one. Secondly, what we can get out of it is that the love of God is our compass and our guide and we can ask questions. We can face suffering. We can look at scripture. But we can be confident in the love of God. God is not a moral monster. He is love. God is not an absent landlord. He is love. God is not a puppet master bringing evil and pain to the world. He is love. God is not wrath. God is not violent. God is not violence. He is love. He has always been love. He is love and will always be love. Feast on that just for a moment. What word would you use to describe God? I remember being asked that when I went to Vicar Selection. Selection. What one word would you use? And here the passage saying, if you're saying a God is statement, God is love. He is. He is love. But let's go a little bit deeper. Remember, we're asking ourselves, how can we love each other better? We're spending a moment looking at God. God is love. Let's dig a bit deeper. Because John goes on to tell us how God, who is love, shows his love. Look at verse 9. It says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. How did God show his love to us? He sent his one and only Son that we might live in him. Without the loving action of God, we would be Lord, lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. For God so loved the world and his love is love in action so that he sent his one and only son. Love here is not just some feeling of affection but is a love that looks like something. What's it look like? A love that looks like Jesus, the child in weakness. 
A love that looks like Jesus, blessing the broken, healing the hurt, feeding the hungry, eating with sinners. A love that looks like God rolling his sleeves up and getting his hands dirty, washing his disciples' feet, entering into the human condition so that we who were spiritually dead can live in love and live in him. God is love. And love looks like something. What else do we see in this passage about the love of God? We see that it's a love that costs. 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 says this, this, sorry, verse 10 says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only does God's sure love outworked in the sending of Jesus, but also in the death of Jesus. Elsewhere in Scripture it says this, God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, Christ died for us. The death of Jesus shows the love of God. Here in 1 John, the death of Jesus is referred to as an atoning sacrifice. In the ancient world, sacrifices were often used by worshippers to appease the gods who were angry. They would choose a lamb, they would choose a bull. In some cultures, you'd choose a human being. And at great cost to themselves, they would burn it up before the gods to perhaps win or achieve their affection. In Jesus, we see God himself putting his head on the block, going to the cross to let evil do its worst. This isn't a case of twisting the arm of God to show some love and affection, but rather to reveal that God is love. He is self-giving, sacrificial love. He is a God who would rather die for his enemies than smite them. He is a God who would rather forgive his enemies than fry them. Turning to those who were crucified, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. With arms outstretched at the cross, we see the love of God. The revelation of the true heart of God as agape, self-giving, sacrificial love. In the rivers of his blood, 2,000 years before the speech made by Enoch Powell, we see the walls of violence broken down and the futility of racial and ethnic divides. John wrote elsewhere in the Gospel of John, of Jesus' death, saying, when he is lifted high, when Jesus is lifted high, he will draw all people to himself. And Jesus' death is God's way of saying to a lost and broken world, 
and saying to any of us here who are feeling, who are longing and yearning for love, it's God's way of saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Jesus' death is a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He exposes our violence and sins and draws them into himself and nails them to the cross. He shows in his resurrection that life triumphs over death. Forgiveness triumphs over sin. And love triumphs over hate. So where have we got to so far? Well, we've, we've shown that John is saying we should love one another. Why should we love one another? Because God is love. How does God show his love? God shows his love. It's, love looks like something. It looks like Jesus coming to earth. Love also looks like something and it's costly. It looks like Jesus dying on a cross. And so... As we return to our command, which we are to obey, beloved, love one another. In Jesus, we see what love is like. And his DNA is in us. We are to love each other, and love looks like something. Love is a a verb, a doing word. We can choose to love, to show affection for each other and treat each other as Jesus treats us. God shows us what love is like and we need to imitate that. Love isn't just a feeling of affection which we may or may not have for people in this room. Love shows itself in action. Our true calling is to be the community of embodied love. This is not a utopian fantasy. Not just a dream of the 60s. But it's a kingdom dream in which the radical ethic of love in one, found in 1 Corinthians 13 is outworked. Let's listen to this kingdom dream. We are patient. We are kind. We do not envy. We do not boast. We are not proud. We do not dishonor others. We are not self-seeking. We are not easily angered. We keep no record of wrongs. We do not delight in evil, but we rejoice with the truth. We always protect, we always trust, we always hope, we always persevere. And we can demonstrate this love in forgiving each other, befriending each other, helping each other in practical actions of loving service, Visiting the sick, coming alongside the lonely, blessing the broken, spending time and energy with each other so that the claim that we are brothers and sisters rings true. Like Jesus, 
This love which we share is to be self-sacrificial and costly. John writes elsewhere, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We've got that bit, haven't we? Yep, we know, this is what we know what love is like. It's like Jesus dying on a cross. But then John goes on and says this, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. As a community, to be obedient to Scripture and led by the Spirit, we need to be those who would love in such a way that we be willing to lay down our lives for each other. In church history and within the global church, especially under persecution, these, there are those who quite literally lay down their lives for others. Let me give you one, uh, one example of this. Involved uh, numerous Christians doing this. Two serious plagues swept the Roman Empire. The first ravaged the region between AD 165 and 180. The second about 100 years later. During its 15-year duration, the first plague took the lives of between one-fourth and one-third of the population of the empire. Major plague. What were the Christians known for doing? They were not known for fleeing the city. They were known in a world where you just didn't put yourself at risk to show compassion to someone. They were known for staying in the cities where the plagues were taking place and embodying that Jesus type of love. Dionysus, an early Christian, he wrote this. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and only thinking of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbours and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and caring for others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The early church were known for running towards the plague if they knew that the brothers and sisters and others were suffering. Rodney Stark, the sociologist and church historian, he says this explains a lot of the early church growth. Because with a little bit of care and affection to someone who has um, the plague, their chances of improvement uh, increase rapidly. So actually, as the Christian population was growing larger than the, the population outside, why? Because they were known for their care and compassion. We may not be called to run towards the plague or take a bullet for our brother or sister. But we are called to love, and this love looks like Jesus, and it will cost us. We need to take off the headphones of consumerism, which beat out the soundtrack. What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? And instead, we need to hear the sweet melodies of love. What can I give? What can I give? What can I give? And this has implications on how we use our time, our talents, and our treasure. I'm going to land this sermon now. I'm going to land it, but there's a challenge there, isn't there? 
think one of the keys is to keep looking to Jesus, to look to him. What does love look like? And seek to emulate that in our own lives and in this community. In the early church, Tertullian tells us that pagans, those outside the church, were struck by the witness of Christian love. And they used to say, so outsiders used to say, see how much they love one another. The dream of the kingdom, empowered by the Spirit of God, is that people look at us and they say the same. Look. Look how that community at St. George's love each other. When so-and-so was in hospital, you should have seen the flock of visitors going in. Oh, she was loved. When he was going through that difficult time, he always had someone who was able to just ring him up and check that he was okay. Love looks like something. It is love, the love of God revealed in Jesus and the love of Jesus revealed in his people which offers hope, justice and compassion to our world which is hardwired for love. It is love, the love of God revealed in Jesus and the love of Jesus revealed in his people which offers peace, justice and compassion to a consumerist world bent towards violence. John records elsewhere the words of Jesus. If we want to see St. George's grow, this could be a way. What does Jesus say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity of love. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. George's Leeds podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.